Psalms 111 is where we'll be at this evening. As you see, the title of the message is Awesome God. Awesome God. Psalms 111, this is one of the praise psalms that David wrote. And we read one this morning as well. But Psalms 111 is where we'll be. We'll read the whole chapter. Psalms 111 verse 1 reads, Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. In the assembly of the upright and in the congregation, the works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. His work is honorable and glorious, and His righteousness endureth forever. He hath made His wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He hath given meat unto them that fear Him. He will ever be mindful of His covenant. He hath showed His people the power of His works, that He may give them the heritage of the heathen. The works of His hands are verity and judgment. All His commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. He sent redemption unto His people. He hath commanded His covenant forever. Holy and reverent is His name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding having all they that do His commandments. His praise endureth forever. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You for Your Word. Lord, thank You that You are worthy to be praised. Lord, thank You for being an amazing God, one who loves us, one who sent his son for us. Lord, help us as we're reminded this evening from the book of Psalms of your greatness. Lord, help us to determine to praise you this evening. In your name I pray, amen. This summer I had the great opportunity to go to the Philippines. Has anyone ever traveled abroad maybe to the Philippines? Some of you did this summer with the missions trip. I was able to go this summer. My in-laws are missionaries there. So my brother-in-law was getting married, married a Filipino girl, and my daughter was the flower girl. Big mistake. Two-year-old as a flower girl in a a strange country didn't go too well. But we enjoyed our time there. As we flew there, uh, I quickly learned that it's a lot of work to take a two-year-old, and uh, he was about 10 months old at that time, across the country. Our longest flight was 18 hours long. So you can imagine having uh, two small ones on that long of a flight. When we were in the Philippines, two days before our return trip home, we got an email saying that our flight was canceled due to weather. Uh, They had to cancel our flight and reroute us. So before you go on a trip like this, you definitely want to plan ahead. You buy your tickets, you pick out your seats. We had a group of my wife and I, or two kids, And two other individuals, my in-laws, were with us. So six people total. So you can imagine it's kind of tough to find six seats all together. So our flight was canceled. We had to be rerouted. And now I begin to worry because we planned this trip months ago. And now I'm not sure. Are we going to be able to get seats together? I can't allow my two-year-old to sit next to a stranger. No one wants to hold my 10-month-old. We we have to figure something out. So I called the airlines and they said... "Uh, I'm sorry, we just, we're not able to help you. The best we can do is get to the gate early and try to figure it out with the airline attendants there. So that's what we did. We got there as early as we could in the Philippines. Our flight left at midnight that night. So we were there early. We went through customs. We did everything we had to do. And I began to talk to Korea Air. And they're helping me out and they're looking to see what we can do and she spends a few minutes behind the screen of a computer, and I'm, I'm just kind of praying, God, help us to all get seats together. I'm really concerned about this. I would hate to stick the kids with my wife and me sit by myself and get to sleep the whole time. So please, work this out. 
And the lady looked over the computer and she said, unfortunately, Mr. Whitaker, we have no seats together in the, in the general seating, what your tickets are. We, we have no seats. And uh, my heart started to beat fast and I was really concerned. I said, ma'am, I have a two-year-old. She can't sit by herself. She can't sit with a stranger. We have to work something out. Can you piece our party together? And she said, hold on. We do have six seats in first class. First class. That sounds nice, right? I was waiting for the price tag with the first class. <laughs> but thankfully, she said, because of the inconvenience, we're going to give you those seats. Your family can sit in first class together. Has anyone ever flown first class before? Okay. Has anyone ever flown first class with Korea Air on a long flight? This was a six-hour flight, and it was amazing. Amazing. I mean, I'm a short guy. But I had all the legroom. I mean, it, the seat turns into a bed. They come around when you get on the plane. They bring a nice hot rag for you to kind of clean up with. They brought uh, champagne, which I refused. And my wife, she refused to, don't worry. She did. She did. They gave us orange juice for those who did not want champagne. And we're just hanging out there. And they gave us slippers. They had gourmet food. Uh, I couldn't decide, did I want to take a nap? Did I want to watch direct TV? Did I want to play video games? Did I just want to eat all the food that I wanted to eat? Did I want to go back to the curtain and peek in and see all the normal people that are sitting there that couldn't sit here? I couldn't decide, how did I want to spend my flight? It was amazing. God took care of us. In a time that I was concerned, God came through in a big way. We, we were able to get to Japan safely. We boarded a plane and we landed in Chicago. The only issue is when we got to Chicago, we only had an hour to get through customs. And if you've ever gone through customs, it's a process. We're pushing a double stroller. We all have a carry-on bag. It's a lot going on. And uh, we missed our flight. We missed it. And I started thinking in my heart, and I even said some stuff out loud where I totally forgot what God just did for us. I was caught up in the moment, in the valley, if you will, and the complications of it all, and I forgot that just hours before, God came through for us in a way that I never thought was possible. For us to ride first class, for my kids to be able to sit, spend six hours laying down sleeping on a, on a seat that I should have never been in, and then this happened, and I'm delayed for only two hours, and I'm complaining and saying, God, why, why would you let this happen? God, I'm just trying to get home, trying to take care of the family. We've got to drive back from Atlanta to Alabama. God, why? I forgot how awesome God was. Too often, we're willing to praise God when we're in first class, but when we're stuck in the airport, it's why, God? Why are you letting this happen to me? God, you're not as awesome as I thought that you were at this point in time, but God hasn't changed. God will never change. God is awesome. This evening, I want to remind you through the book of Psalms and with David's help that God is awesome. Do me a favor and just tell your neighbor that God is awesome. Look at someone and tell them God is awesome. If you don't have a neighbor to tell, then you're probably not awesome. You're probably not. So those of you, except you, you're awesome. You are. Don't worry about that. God is awesome. Tonight we're going to again look through the book of Psalms and learn from David that God is awesome. If you're taking notes, number one, 
we'll see the supreme creator. God is our supreme creator. In verse 2 through 4, it says, The works of the Lord are great, sought out all them that have pleasure therein. His work is honorable and glorious, and His righteousness endureth forever. He hath made His wonderful works to be remembered. God's works are great. David reminds us that the works of the Lord are honorable, they're glorious and wonderful. God is supreme. He is superior to all others. He is the head. He is the highest. He is the best. He is excellence. He is marvelous. God is perfect. God is sovereign. God is preeminent. He is the first and he is the last. He is unequaled. He is unmatched and God is unparalleled. He is above all, before all, in all, through all, and will be after all. God is the greatest. God is awesome. God is our supreme creator. We all recall the creation story in Genesis chapter 1. We understand that. In the beginning, God created the world. We understand what he created with that. But let's look at David's summarization of the creation story. Let's go to Psalms chapter 8. We'll mainly stay in the book of Psalms, but we will turn a little bit this evening. Psalms chapter 8, and we'll see where David speaks about God's creation, and he speaks about man specifically with God's creation. Psalms chapter 8, we'll begin reading in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, he begins to talk about the creation now. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea. And whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. In verse 4, David says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? The Hebrew word used for man in verse 4 means weak and insignificant. David fully understood God's superiority. David understood that man is weak. Man is insignificant. But David understood how special man is to God. God created fowls of the air, fish of the sea, beast of the field. Yet God chose to breathe his breath in man. God chose to make man in his own likeness. God chose to use man for his glory. David understood God's superiority. I love the creation story. It always amazes me, Genesis 1 and 2. But the most amazing part of it all is Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, you remember that God goes to Adam and Eve and says, you can do anything you want in this garden except eat of that tree. Of course you recall the story. Eve eats of the, the apple or the fruit that the serpent tempts her with. And then she gives to her husband and he eats. That's not the amazing part. The amazing part is that in verse 9 of chapter 3, after they sinned and they were ashamed of their nakedness, the Bible says, and the Lord God called unto Adam. God called unto Adam. He chased after Adam. 
He knew exactly where Adam was. He knew exactly what Adam did. And yet God, almighty God, the Alpha and Omega, the most powerful, the highest, the most excellent, our mighty creator God shows us that he is a God of mercy. He is a God of love. And he is gracious when he chased after Adam. He could have started over. Those were the only two human beings on earth. God could have easily started over and said, Adam and Eve, I'm sorry, you guys, you just didn't cut it. You're going to go back to the dust that you came from. Yet God, our supreme creator in his love and his mercy, chased after Adam. Adam, where are you? Adam, it's okay. Let me provide clothing for you. God loves man. He is our supreme creator. Our God is awesome. He is our supreme creator. Excellent is his name in all the land. We should praise him for his glorious works. He is our supreme creator. Secondly, he is also our saving Christ. Our saving Christ. Let's go back to uh, our original text, Psalms 111. Psalms 111. And let's look at two verses there. Verse 4 of Psalms 111 says, He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Verse 9, he sent redemption unto his people. Aren't you glad that God sent redemption in the form of Jesus Christ and offers us salvation? He is our saving Christ. Now remember who David is and what his life has consisted of to this point. You recall who David is. David was a young shepherd boy who killed a lion and killed a bear with his sling. He's the only one who stood up to Goliath when no one else would. He had the victory by God's power when he killed Goliath. This is the same David who was labeled as being a man after God's own heart and was anointed king at a young age. The same man who had to run from King Saul to avoid being murdered. The same David who finally became the second king over all of Israel. But also, this is the same David who committed adultery. The same David who had Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed. We could say David the adulterer, David the murderer, David the sinner. But God says David the redeemed. David the redeemed. Let's go to Psalms chapter 51. Psalms chapter 51. We're going to look at David's own words regarding his restoration from the mercy of God. I love this chapter. David pours out his heart and says, God, I've messed up. God, I've done wrong. Wash me. Let's read it in the emotion behind his words. Psalms chapter 51, verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. We see in verses 3 through 4 that David acknowledges his sin. He says, I have sinned against thee, O God. I have transgressed. In verse 5, David reminds us of the depravity of all men, that he was shapen in iniquity, that he was born into sin, and we're all the same, for all have sinned. 
In verse 2, David asked to be washed and cleansed. Wash me from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7, David pleads to be purged and washed whiter than snow. Aren't you thankful that Jesus' blood washes us whiter than snow? Amen. Verse 7, David pleads again to be purged and washed whiter than snow. Verse 10, David begs God for a clean heart and a renewed spirit. I'm so glad I'm not that old man. I'm glad that when I was saved, I'm a new man. I'm changed. Verse 12, David requests restoration from God. In verses 16 through 17, David acknowledges that works or sacrifice isn't what's required to receive forgiveness, but simply a broken heart and a broken spirit. I'm so glad we don't have to work our way to heaven. I would never, never in my imagination be able to do that. But Jesus, Jesus dying on the cross for us is enough. Being broken, understanding that we need Jesus Christ. David was given mercy. David was shown compassion. David was restored. David was forgiven and David was redeemed. Why? Because God is awesome. Because God is our saving Christ. The same forgiveness he bestowed upon David is offered to you and me because God is our saving Christ. You see, Christ is our advocate. He is the bridegroom. He is the captain of our salvation. He is the chief cornerstone. He's our deliverer. He is Emmanuel. He is our friend. He is a gift of God. He is our help. He is our hope. And he is the head of the church. He is immortal. He is the just judge, the king of kings, the life, the light, and he is love. He is the Messiah. He is the mighty God. And he is mercy. He is the prince of peace. He is our refuge. He is our savior. He is truth. And he is the word. God is our saving Christ. God offers grace when we have done absolutely nothing to receive grace. We have done absolutely nothing and God gives us his grace. You see, the wasted years of life, the poor choices of our life, God erases it with one word, grace. Grace. God's grace will change you. It will take you from insecure to secure. It will take you from lost to found. God's grace will take you from lacking purpose to being purpose-driven. God's grace will change you. Satan, he will still condemn you. Satan will come to you and he may say that you're worthless, that you're hopeless, that you're stupid, that you're unproductive, that you're a slow learner, a fast talker. I'm kind of a fast talker. That you're a quitter, that you're a cheapskate, that you're a sinner. But God in his grace will always remind you that you are redeemed, that you are forgiven, that you are restored, that you are spiritually alive, that you are a heavenly position, that we are connected to God, that we are a walking billboard of mercy. God is our saving Christ. God is awesome. Not only is he our supreme creator and our saving Christ, but God is our steadfast comforter. God is our steadfast comforter. Psalms chapter 19, we won't turn there, but Psalms chapter 19, to give you background of the chapter, was written by David right after David was anointed to be king over Israel. So he's a young man. David is probably, if you can imagine, feeling anxious, probably feeling nervous. If it was me, I would definitely be feeling fearful of this new role that I'm going to assume that as soon as Saul steps down, that I will be the next king. I only have one other king to look to as far as learning. There's no history books I can go to. And, so, and David, in Psalms chapter 19, begins to write. 
And in doing so, he praises God, that he's a God that will never leave us, that he's a God that will comfort us and take care of us. David is seeking God's help and comfort as he assumes this amazing new responsibility. David simply praises God for all that he has done and is reassured that God will take care of him. God is faithful. God is steadfast. God created us, God saved us, and God comforts us. As Jesus continued his earthly ministry in the New Testament, he gave us a very unique promise. Let's go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and we'll look at verse 26. We'll go to the New Testament now. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 26 reads, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Jesus Christ promises that he will send his Comforter. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, will be with us to comfort us, to convict us, to uh, illuminate us, to, to help us as we read God's Word and understand it. To, to guide our lives, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. The Holy Spirit enters our heart at the point of salvation, and God is literally in us. So often we miss this amazing truth and this awesome promise. We often miss that God is in us. You see, we fully understand and we cling to the other prepositions. We understand that God is for us, that God is with us, that God is ahead of us, we cling to the promise that God is even working beside us, that God is working under us, and that God is with us. But we miss the best preposition of them all, that God is in us. It's hard to fathom, isn't it? But God is in us. The same supreme creator is in us. The same saving Christ is in us. Isn't that awesome? God is in us. Paul in the New Testament alone mentions this union of God in, in being in us 216 times. The Apostle Paul writes about it. John in the New Testament writes about it 26 times. So some almost 250 times it's mentioned that God is literally in us. Yet we don't really understand it, do we? We don't really practice it that God is not just with us. God is not just for us and he wants us to succeed and wants us to overcome sin, but God is literally inside of us. You see, Jesus not only woos us to himself, but he actually wants us to himself. He doesn't just redeem us, but he resides inside of us. God is in us. 1 John 4.15 says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him. And he in God. You see, no other religion or philosophy can make this claim. No other movement claims that its founder actually lives inside of its followers. You can think about a Muhammad. He does not indwell a Muslim. Buddha does not inhabit the Buddhist. Do they influence their followers? Yes. Do they inform them or instruct them? Yes. But do they reside inside of them? Do they inhabit them? Do they go with them wherever they go? No, our God is awesome. God lives inside of us. God is our supreme creator. His works are glorious. 
God is our saving Christ as he gives us undeserved grace. God is our steadfast comforter as he lives in us. Today, you may be in first class. Today, you may be there, and it's easy to praise God when everything seems to be going right. But how about when you're stuck in the airport? How about when those relationships break down or when you don't get the promotion you thought you were going to get or that bonus didn't come through like you thought? Are you still praising God? I was so convicted as I stood in that Chicago airport and we figured everything out with the tickets and I I just talked to my wife about it. I said, oh, we're only going to wait for two hours. It's not a big deal. But prior to that, my attitude was so awful. God, why? Why would you make us get stuck in this airport? You could have done something, but God had already done so much up until that point. I forgot how awesome he was. God is awesome. Let's go to Psalms 148. Let's look at one more passage of scripture. Psalms 148. As we look at this passage of scripture and we read it, I challenge you to to read it to yourselves there and read it with a heart of praise. Read it with a heart of praise. Psalms 148 verse 1 reads, Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise ye him all his angels. Praise ye him all his hosts. Praise ye him, sun and moon. Praise him, all ye stars of light. Praise him, ye heavens of heavens and ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for, his command, for he commanded and they were created. Do you get the picture yet? We should praise God, huh? Verse 6, he, he hath also established them forever and ever. He hath made a decree which shall not pass. Praise the Lord from the earth, ye dragons and all deeps, fire and hell, snow and vapor, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. He also exalteth the horn of his people, the praise of all his saints, even of the children of Israel, a people near unto him. Praise ye the Lord. God is awesome. He is worthy to be praised. God is good. God is our supreme creator. He is our saving Christ, and he is always our steadfast comforter.